Yeah. Consider this question. Hmm. Consider this question. Consider this question. Consider this question. Consider this question. Welcome to the podcast. This particular conversation was recorded on Wednesday, August 5th at 9 a.m. And we had friends in the studio with us. It was a lot of fun. We're considering what's happening with the culture around us and the effect on the church. This is in anticipation of a series we're calling Winter, holding on to Jesus in a culture that doesn't. So these are some foundational thoughts that sort of led us to want to do this particular series upcoming in a couple of weeks. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Good, uh, I guess, a morning or afternoon, whenever you're listening to this podcast, we are here to consider another question um, or a particular topic. What we are uh, going to be discussing today, and I've got Ryan Vincent and Drew Moss with me, uh, is uh, uh, kind of the idea of how the church and culture are engaging one another, because it's not just that uh, culture is one thing and the church is part of that or not part of that. I mean, there's this constant engagement back and forth. Um, and so I think with the increased awareness of the fact that uh, the church and culture are just on different pages, we're looking at the world in a different way, and I believe we always have, um, it just seems like for some reason we're more aware of it right now. And uh, so we're going to be talking about that even in an upcoming series that we're going to be having called Winter, um, what to, kind of how to deal in a culture, how to live in a culture that uh, isn't holding on to Jesus the same way we are. It's kind of our subline. And uh, so what we're going to be doing is talking a little bit today, I'm going to be moderating and talking a little bit today about why this topic matters so much, about why this idea of um, cultural engagement, of how the culture shapes how the church acts and reacts uh, to social issues, um, how it kind of shapes and molds our mission. And so we want to make sure that as a church, um, and even for those outside of Sunnybrook that listen to this podcast, uh, that we're thinking biblically about this, that we're thinking properly about this, that we're honoring God with uh, with the way that we think and the way that we act. And so, um, I'm going to kind of throw up the first idea. The first idea that we we want to we want to talk about is, um, you know, we we spend a lot of time discussing how do we describe the position that the church finds itself right now in in our culture, um, and we're grateful for many you know powerful thinkers that are already um, helping us kind of think through this. So I wouldn't say this is a Definitely, it's not a new idea. And two of the phrases that they like to describe in terms of the church's position in the culture or around the culture or juxtaposed to the culture, the two words that keep coming back are winter and exile. And so just kind of help us think through like why those metaphors matter, um, which, what each metaphor means, and, uh, and how we should actually even look uh, in terms of a paradigm at the culture that we find ourselves in as the church. So which one of you rock stars wants to go first? I'll jump on that. Okay, go, Drew. Yeah, so these these two issues that were, these two metaphors you said, winter or exile, trying to figure out which one we best want to use to describe where the church is. And it does matter because each of those metaphors carry with it different implications and different ideas. So um, the, uh, the the idea of exile comes from in the Bible where, where God's people end up in exile in a foreign land, in Babylon specifically. And the idea is that they are strangers in a land that's not their own and that they're somewhat, they, they are kind of on the margins of the culture and on the margins of society. They don't have control or power. And so that's kind of the idea when people talk about the church being 
in exile, especially maybe in the states in, in the Western world, that, that it's kind of on the margins. It doesn't have the control or authority. Um, the, the, where you push the implications is exile could mean that this is a punishment, that God is bringing this on his people just as he did. Which we have a lot of people that are really proposing that, right? Yeah. Like yeah. they feel like we have failed, therefore judgment. Yes, yes. And I'm not anti that. I, I can look at that and go, they, yeah, there's a there's a good chance that that's happening. I just don't know. And as we've kind of talked about it, we might not know for another hundred years, yeah. you know, to be able to look back and say, yes, that's what was happening. Um, and, and so and it also even kind of has a little bit of a maybe we can steer the ship if we act the right way. We can avoid this much as God's people had a chance to avoid exile by doing those things, which, again, might be, you know, um, if the people who are called by my name repent, yeah, I will heal their land. And so there's a lot of a lot of implications in terms of how we understand ourselves as a church and as a nation in America, particularly. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of implications there. Yeah, and then on on the side of winter is is this idea that and and Keller uses it in his book Center Church, but it goes who, who's the original guy? Is it uh? It's not Niebuhr, is it? He, he quotes him a lot, but I don't think okay. that's who he's referencing. So, so Keller uses at least these four seasons to talk about the different stages that America is, or at the church is in relation to the culture. Um, so spring being kind of a little bit weak but starting to thrive, uh, summer being at kind of the height and, and at the center of the culture and having a lot of influence and things are great, autumn being starting to kind of push to the edge and and – slowly kind of losing grip and then winter being in a weakened state um, on the outskirts and stuff. And so, um, and, and the thing that I like about winter is it really does, it, it describes just this spot in which, um, in which life is just happening and, and we need to be able to kind of come together in those things. And, and winter doesn't always even mean unhealth. It just means maybe smaller. It means maybe less visible, but it doesn't mean um, that that you're unhealthy. The the one kind of maybe downside or however you want to view it. The implication of winter is there's nothing you can do to help it. This is the natural cycle of the church, and it almost views it as a progression. And 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 again, that might just like with the exile, I might agree to that. I just don't know. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So we're we're stuck in our time, trying to yeah. trying to guess where it's going. Um, I would even say that one of my concerns about either exile or winter is we need a prophet to stand up like Isaiah and say, hey, the Lord, thus saith the Lord, you are in winter. Thus saith the Lord, you are in exile. Yeah. And we don't, I mean, as far as I know in the world, we don't have that. Yeah. So we're trying to make a different assessment than Isaiah and Jeremiah. Yeah. And Ezekiel. Yes. Yes. Did you look it up? I saw you on your phone. No, I couldn't find it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So he, and I don't know how much we want, but you know, like they, they say, so. Like winter technically would be places in the Middle East where the church is completely um, oppressed and underground. Uh, spring would be places like China where it's embattled but growing. Um, autumn would actually probably more fit where North America um, is, where we're kind of being slowly pushed to the margins a little bit. And, uh, and then summer would be maybe what America was 50 or 60 years ago, where the church had a lot more influence in the culture. It, it is summer in places like South America and Africa, they say, where the church is really thriving and coming to the middle of the place. So, so technically, we would almost fit more of an autumn, if anything. But, and, but. and answer this, which, which one has a kind of a stronger biblical idea to it? I mean, you know, we, we talk about winter and exile. Which one has a very strong, oh, yeah, I can show you verses, I can show you, you know, um, string together yeah. uh, of the biblical theme 
I think I think the the position on the exile would okay. certainly find more biblical support in terms of um, if you want me to build to mount a case from Scripture alone that this is where we are. I don't know that I could adequately convince you of winter. But one of the things I think is helpful for our listeners in terms of being able to to parse the difference between the two is what both paradigms are saying that the church has been pushed to the margins of society at large. We've lost a, a little bit of our seat at the cultural table. Yep. That's a, by the way, that's say that again because that's I think a good way for us to look at what we're dealing with here is, you know, what what's really at stake. And and you mm-hmm. keep using that phrase, I'm sure you're borrowing it from somebody. Yep. Um but, you know, I I love that that's how I think about yep. it. So say it again. We've we've lost our seat uh at the uh our our, our seat at the cultural table. And what what that means is that we've lost a lot of our ability to influence society at large, to influence society at the governmental level and at the trend-setting level, like um, the, the three major cultural centers of the United States are D.C. is the political cultural center, New York is the financial center, and Los Angeles is the entertainment center. Uh, these are the places that define and shape culture at large in the United States, and, and the, the church just isn't influencing those places at the highest level so that what we might call a Christian culture is filtering down. So the, the church, in many ways, is being pushed to the margins of society, and both winter and exile describe that. But where there's—I think we can really distill down the differences between the two is both in the agency, what's causing this, and and then our kind of our call in terms of our response. So in an exile, I would say the agent is primarily God is causing this. It's The, the exile language has— um, punishment built into it, punitive. Uh, it's it's in, and then in terms of our response to exile, it's a call to reform. It's a call to repent, and then God will restore. Winter, on the other hand, the agent primarily is culture that is battling and beating up the church, and then winter, the, uh, like our call is to, in some sense, white knuckle it and endure and remain faithful through this period of of persecution. See, I think like. First Peter describes a winter and less of an exile, even though Peter uses exilic language, which gets really complicated. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. Yeah, <laughs> appreciate that. I mean, that, that, but you are right. I mean, I yeah. like that assessment. Okay. Um, now you know. So let me. So what we're gonna we're landing on the concept of winter. We're kind of deciding as we explain this and as we try to create a paradigm for us to consider our position at the cultural table for us to position how we engage the culture in Stillwater, University Town. Um, we're looking at it and saying, listen, no, no no, prophet has come up and said we're going into exile. We don't have this promise. We don't read um, the Quranical text by saying, hey, if we repent, God will make everything great for our land again. We don't have that, we don't have that um, interpretive model at all. So basically we're saying we're being pushed to the to the sidelines, and so then let's embrace. Now you use this phrase, Ryan. You said white knuckle, um, and I, I don't think we like that. But I mean, I'm not saying I disagree totally. But it's it's the white knuckle is fine. I'm I'll do it if I have to, yeah. you know. And and so here, here's what I want to just have you guys talk about. The phrase winter, and as you're describing it as white knuckling, which isn't totally off either, um, can seem daunting, mm-hmm. maybe even depressing. And so I want you guys to talk about attitudinally how, as a church, we should look at this. Like, how do we not slip into the daunting, depressing, um, you know, we, 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 we kind of think it's weird for those people that are getting doomsdayers, you know, we let's build the bomb shelter underneath and let's yeah. kind of, yeah. but we can do that culturally. And so uh, help us think through 
our attitudinal and even our engagement missionally in this new phase of church life, particularly here in America or we would say in the West? Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, I just showed you guys this book, this Every Square Inch by Bruce, Bruce Ashford, and, and I really am enjoying it. It's about kind of the church and culture and how Christ is called to be Lord over every, every square inch of the world of culture and of our lives. But um, he basically says that there are um, three major ways that the church can approach culture. Um, one is to, to be a church that is against culture, and that is so our, our job is to either A, fight against it or hunker down in in hiding from it um and and then that there's the church of culture which is we just kind of go with it and this is the day we live in and so we may as well find a way to be a church in this culture kind of embracing a lot of the culture um both sides fail to do like the dissection between what is good in the culture and what is bad it just says it's all bad so we got to attack it and that's where in the 60s and 70s, you know, the church um, attacks things like rock music because they're not able to differentiate the culture, the music itself, from the messages of things. And sure. so, you know what I mean? That, yep. that kind of thing. Or to say it's all good, culture is what it is, so let's just be a part. And then he says kind of the third way is to be a church that is in and for culture. And, and so a recognition that we're in, like, there's, like you said, there's no way to not be in it. There's yep. no way to not be a part of it and see it. And so how do I, in it, live in a way that I am bringing the gospel witness to it and bringing the gospel lifestyle to the culture kind of for its good and, and for God's glory? And, and I like that kind of as a broad thing. I don't know if you want to kind of specify what that would look like, Ryan. Yeah, but... attitudinally is kind of where I'm really wanting to make sure we— Yeah, in terms of our attitude, I think like one of the dangers that we're going to, um, to risk or, or one of the things that we're going to experience is we are, like I just think— it's inevitable that we will experience social, political, economic ostracization. We will be pushed to the edge of society in some way. And I think that morale is going to, to suffer to some degree. There's going to be some that, that will lean towards despair and hopelessness as numbers in churches shrink and as we are losing our ability to influence things. Even, you know, two days ago, the, the next Planned Parenthood video came out. And it's just like the... Social media has created a platform where we can just kick against that really, really hard, and yet the other side of it is culture kicks back very, very hard as well. And I think we're going to continue to feel this sense of hopelessness as, as a lot of these things take place. But where I say that might not be the right approach in terms of, of growing um, hopeless is contrast really is the mother of clarity, and it will be good for the church mm-hmm. to be... Um, to to be forced to clarify what it is we believe, because once our once we like can come back and really think and and formulate sound doctrine, once we become more orthodox, well then I think that we'll become a stronger witness to to culture at large. Like um, in many ways, we're paying dividends. We're being paid dividends on the church being culturally weak for many generations in, in America and in and, and many other places in the West. Well, I, you know, I, I think it's interesting because how the church has responded, and I've only been alive since the late 60s, okay, but how the church has responded to its place at the table, maybe even almost head of the table or at least close to the head of the table, mm-hmm. 
and how it really felt like, wow, we need to make sure going back to whether it's music, which w- for us was worship styles or preaching styles, or and then it became theolo- theological issues as well in, you know, in the 70s and in the 80s. Um, it really did begin to kind of reshape how we look at church. And we became, began to think, hey, it's a marketing problem. How do we market ourselves better? And so we're not playing the music that the young people are liking. And so let's let's do that. And then all of a sudden, and by the way, I think that's kind of a great conversation to have, but I don't think we realized that how we were approaching that may have been the problem. Not, not our conclusion was wrong, but maybe kind of our thought process really might have been flawed. And so now all of a sudden you hear Rob Bell, who is deeply concerned that if we don't adapt our view of certain issues, particularly sexual orientation in the right way, then we'll become, you know, irrelevant. Therefore, the only way to be relevant is to adapt. And so the question becomes, and I can at least appreciate, even even though I might disagree with Rob in terms of his conclusion, I, I don't think that's a wrong question to at least ask. It's how do we navigate that? So let me ask you guys this question, and um, Ryan, I'll begin with you. So tell me, how, how do you personally feel about this? Because, I mean, you're a thinker, and you're, a, you're somebody that is constantly walking through this. So how do you personally approach this coming winter or this mm-hmm. coming exile, this coming changing uh, seats at the, at the table? I mean, there are so many ways that, that this this information comes to me, social media, news outlets, conversations with people over coffee. And, and, I, and I'm, I feel comfortable saying in, in many cases, depending on what the topic is, like my, my knee-jerk reaction is outrage. I don't know if you guys have watched the latest Planned Parenthood video. It is gruesome. And my, my first reaction is outrage. What are we going to do about this? But then I, I, once I have time to process and think, and this is where I get in trouble as a verbal processor, because I can sound like a lunatic before I get to where I need to be. That's where I think you and I wish we were Drew. Yes, yes. I need <laughs> Which to... is, by the way, awesome that we put microphones in front of you to verbally process <laughs> and put it on the internet forever. Yes. So. Uh, but Who when, is in charge of this ship? I think we can blame Steve. Find safely, the, exactly. safely blame Find Steve. the captain and throw him off the boat. But once I've had time to process these things, I come to a number of conclusions. One, I believe um, very, very strongly that the church itself is immortal, and and that alone gives me so much hope. If if we are if we are empowered by a a resurrected Jesus that will never again die, that he he will sustain his bride. Well, that alone gives me an incredible sense of hope that whether it's winter or exile, like there's, there's life beyond whatever we're currently experiencing. Um, and, and so that, that has been, uh, reflecting on that has been very helpful. The other thing that I think has um, been helpful to me is this constant, um, uh, I'm, I'm trying to really parse and, and make sure I don't confuse a Christian culture and an American culture, because I think for a very long time the church has had trouble telling the two apart. Yep. And when the American culture changes and the scriptures don't, we are left not knowing what to do. And, and, and I think that when we know the difference between those two cultures, particularly, I, I my hope doesn't waver as quickly, right? Yeah, before Drew, I don't want to hear what you have to say. It's interesting because coming from Canada, 
I never felt like we ever had a seat at the table. So I'm not. Yeah. I, and so my anger is it's a different kind of anger. It's not how dare you move my seat. It's like, actually, I've always been at the kids table. So yeah. 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 it's used to I'm used to having Kool-Aid and leftovers. And so yeah. it's just it's a different paradigm. It really is. And so I don't quite understand the anger or yeah. even the write your congressman. Again, I'm not saying that's neither good nor bad. I just yeah. don't even understand that because, you know, Canada was kind of in a godless sense when it was founded, so to speak. And yeah. so it, it really is, it, it's just complicated in terms of how it works. Drew, what do you, how, how do you, how are you responding yeah. as the most Christ-like of the three? How do so, you respond to this? <laughs> so here's on, uh, I, I, there, there's a side of me that does tend towards kind of the, um, the despair is not the word, being kind of pulled down by some of this and, and almost some kind of a, a weight to this. And then there's a part of me that actually gets excited about this. Mm -hmm. And so the part that I, I do find myself getting down is, is kind of two things. One is watching as we do this, watching people say that I went to Ozark Christian College with training for ministry and watching, feeling like I'm seeing people jump ship, um, watching those people that, that, like I said, I was training for ministry with with the the rainbow avatars now on their Facebook, mm -hmm. and those and will actually be listed. Drew's friends who have jumped ship will be listed <laughs> at the end of this podcast alphabetically. Yep, yep. Um, so that stuff, when I start to look around, I go, man, that just hurts a little bit. You know what I mean? That yep. just, I like that. I really do. I get saddened when I see those things. The other thing is when I think about. Um, I don't panic too much for us when they talk about, are they going to start whatever, pulling churches, nonprofit status, or they're going to whatever. A, I don't know if those things are true or how long those may take. And even if they are, I think we'll be okay. But when I think about like my kids a little bit and how they're going to have to navigate, this is going to take an ability to really cling to truth with, with a tact and discernment and wisdom you know, to, to be able to, uh, things that junior hires don't naturally have, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so I'm thinking about like how I want to teach my kids to hold to the truths of scripture without feeling like they got to stand on their desk and shout and protest every yeah. time something is mentioned. And how, how that makes me, I really do get a little bit, if I'm honest, I get a little anxious about yep. trying to figure out how to navigate my kids through these things. Yeah, because our kids are going to deal with issues in the third grade that we didn't have to process yes. until college. Yes. Right? Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm dealing with, for example, again, on the sexual orientation question, um, you know, I'm dealing with we, we were trying to help our kids process that in high school as it became more aware to them um, that there were differences. But now I'm dealing with parents that are saying, you know, my five-year-old mm -hmm. has a um, has a gay or lesbian aunt. Um, and so it's, it's, it's far more prevalent in yep. culture. And we're dealing with it at a younger age, and they're not prepared to deal with yeah. that. And I'll tell you what concerns me more, and we're an orange church. So churches coming alongside and helping parents do it. We've got to be prepared. I mean, the whole concept of orange, I'm glad that we've been talking about this now for five, six, seven years, because it's going to matter that we come alongside Rachel and, um, with your name, Ryan, mm -hmm. and then Drew and Amy, we come alongside of you and say, hey, let us help you kind of process yes. the question. Yeah. So this yeah. is going to, this is going to drive up the need for discernment like crazy. And I'm convinced that a stronger church will actually emerge. I mean, and this is kind of the pattern of history. And that's one of the things that I'm concerned about is that a lot of people that have the doom and gloom aspect. They're just terrible, if not non-existent historians. But you, you can look at the church throughout history, and it's when it gets into those really dark moments that they will. it's almost like the, the light is about to be snuffed out, and then a very strong church will all of a sudden emerge that is very sound theologically and very strong in their convictions. And I mean, even in the United States, rampant deism, 18th and 19th centuries. Sure. Second Great Awakening pops up, sure. snuffs it out. It's like 
like we respond well to conflict. And, and I, when I say we, I mean the spirit in us. And so as we have to think about these things at deeper levels, as your average parent with a kid in the third grade is having to process theological truths with their children, a stronger church, I think, has to emerge. Well, and I'll tell you, here's the part that I, you know, let me just kind of wrap this up in terms of a summary of what you guys just shared on this. It's, it's okay to be honest about outrage, and it's okay to be honest about concerns and um, anxiety. So that's good to acknowledge and to admit. But both of you kind of end up with an optimistic, I believe the Holy Spirit will be there. I believe the, the truths, the biblical truths that we have, that God will not abandon, that we will, um, you know, like iron on iron. There'll be a, kind of a, a sharpening of our missional yeah. bent of our theology, and in the end we'll be fine, Yeah, which is, is good for us to, to realize. It's good for us to say, I get your outrage, but let's look at it through the gospel. I get your anxiety, but let's look at, look at it through the gospel. Yeah, well, yeah, which, and that is where my hope comes in. And, and what has happened is when, when you start talk, when you start removing the social and cultural benefits of being a believer, uh, th- there's been a time for yeah. a long time when it's beneficial, whether you believe in Jesus or not, it's beneficial to be a member of a church. It just kind of almost for a long time puts you in a little bit higher standing in society. You're viewed as a more respectable businessman or whatever else, you know, um, and those things are falling away. But when there's less um, kind of benefits around the edge to be here, we're forced to follow Jesus for Jesus's sake, right? Because he's the benefit because, <laughs> because him and his body are worth yeah. being a part of. And that's what I get really excited about is that, is that this, this forces us to see um, that he alone is enough no matter what else happens around us and, and that we can kind of start to cling to him hopefully more tightly and more purely if, if you know, if that makes sense. But Final thoughts. Drew, how, how do you recommend that our people prepare for this series? It's going to, um, we're, we've, we've got one more week of the current discipleship thing that we're talking about. Then we hit five weeks mm-hmm. of this winter. Um, any, any advice, any preparation that our people can have that are going to be walking through this series week by week? And we've got a number of different um, things that we're going to want to do. We're going to want to continue this conversation on a regular basis. And even after the series series is done, we're, we're going to keep coming back to this because it's not going to be spring in six weeks, mm-hmm. right? We've even talked about this as a staff. We don't know if we will be alive. If there is a spring, we, we don't know if yeah. we'll be alive. Yeah. Okay. And by the way, when we say if, we mean like Jesus will come back. Yep. Okay. So... We, we don't know. So tell me, how, how do we prepare for this series? Um, how do we prepare our families? How do we prepare mm-hmm. to hear what God is saying? I think uh, kind of the two things that I would pray for our church is that we would come out of this series with a greater resolve to follow and hold true, hold fast to the truths of Scripture, hold fast to Jesus. But also, I really do hope that we come out of this series with a greater amount of joy and not a greater amount of anxiety, because that's not the point. That's really not the aim we're going. And so that's how I think I'll probably be praying for myself and my family and for our church is that um, that God would build resolve in us and that he would give us a greater joy in him and in the church that he's provided for us. So, Ryan. Uh, my advice in order to come, like what, what can we do to prepare and come and hear this series well and, and allow God to work on our hearts would be to take an honest evaluation of the um, the things that we do respond to, the things that we see culture pushing against the church, whether that's Obergefell or Planned Parenthood or other whatever. How do we respond to that? Take an honest inventory of, of what, what goes on in my heart whenever something like that kicks against the cause of Jesus. And then ask this question, 
why, how did I, how did my reaction, what informed my reaction? Was it scripture? Was it an emotional reaction? Was it my American ideals or some sense of self-autonomy or individualistic idea? Like, what is it that informed that outrage that I had at you know, whatever. Or anxiety. Been, yes. What is yeah. it that, and, and, and bring, bring those to this sermon series and, and let the, let the word of God either affirm or reshape or completely remove that way of responding. Um, and, and I just think that that's going to be a helpful way to end up joyful as we see what God's doing. I might be a hybrid of you guys, because I think that personally I feel outrage mm-hmm. and then I feel anxiety for my kids and grandkids. You know, and so maybe you guys said a similar thing, but that's kind of, I think, how I respond to it. I'm ticked at the, at the, I actually, honestly, I, I'm not so much mad at culture. Um, I'm very frustrated with the church going back to the people that I know who've abandoned, the people that I, I believe at some level should have known better. Um, maybe it's just my lack of discernment of, of even, even understanding their spiritual maturity. But it becomes a big deal. You know, I heard a conversation recently, and there's always people that want to predict either when is Jesus going to come back or when is the end of the American civilization or whatever. And so somebody was asked recently that, you know, I was in just kind of overhearing the conversation. How many more years do you think? And somebody responded back and said, yeah, I have no idea how to know the answer to that question. Like, I have no idea to know, right? And unless God gives it, how would we know? You know, so, I mean, again, the speculation is not bad, but how do we really know? And that's why it's good for us to go back and think theologically. Let me let me close with this thought. Um, and I don't think I've had this thought until just today. I'm a verbal processor. So thinking about the seat at the cultural table and us changing seats, I thought about the parable of changing seats. And I thought about, you know, it's kind of interesting. Jesus warns, hey, don't 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 be so full of yourself that when you walk into a room, you take the best seat. Like actually take the small seat. And trust me to move you around the table where I want you to be, you know? And I, I've never thought about that. And I know that, hear me, I'm not trying to say, you know, you'll both kind of go, did you just say that? <laughs> Jesus is not talk, talking culturally about that. But I think there is a humility piece that Jesus is talking about. There is a last to first, first to last, mm-hmm. greatest to least, least to greatest. There is a metaphor there that I think we could carry with us. And I think a lot of my outrage and a lot of my anxiety comes because I wanted to sit at the top of the table culturally Mm -hmm. and now all of a sudden when i get pushed down instead of trusting like where jesus wants me at the table i i don't like sitting at the kids table anymore well you've read oz guinness's book renaissance and you've enjoyed it quite you read that one yet drew i have not dude it's i'll buy it for you okay it's really really it's great but he he makes the assertion that the the greatest levels of corruption in the church have come at periods where the church was in the position of most influence and most most social economic power, whatever you want to say. But he said that's when the deepest levels of corruption in the church kind of rose to the top. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I, Carl Truman was making very similar assessments of uh, recent leaders who've fallen, and he said, I just don't know if you can be a rock star, superstar church leader um, and kind of autonomously run churches as a corporation and not fall victim to the problems that are inherent with that. And I always want to pretend, no, 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 not me. That, 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 you know, that's somebody else's problem. That's Jim Baker's problem. That's Mark Driscoll's problem. That wouldn't be Jim Johnson's problem and failing to recognize that we need to do this. Okay. Well, our time is, is clearly up. We hope that you have been challenged and blessed. I'm so grateful for the opportunity um, to even think through this uh, process with Ryan and Drew. Um, I know that they, as well as anyone else on staff, would love to continue this conversation. Um, in terms of an assessment, let me give you a great place to look. How about Facebook? 
take a look at your Facebook page. If you want to get an assessment on whether or not you're overreacting or whether you're looking at things biblically, you know, check how many things you're, I don't, I guess you don't retweet on Facebook, whatever you do, you share it, you share it. There you go. Think about what you share and ask, am I terrible at sharing stupid things on Facebook? I think it'll kind of give you an idea of how that works. So I know that we're watching you as uh, leaders of the church and kind of going, wow, we need to help these people think about this better. But we love you guys. Um, we love Jesus more. And we are definitely looking forward to this series and to continued conversations.